Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Inquirer's podcast. I'm Les Bowen, and uh, we're, we're, we don't have Jeff McClain today. Jeff uh, has been talking to Jason Peters, and Jeff says he wants more money to do the podcast. <laughs> uh, Not a bad idea. Yeah. No, that's a joke. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened Sunday to the Eagles in Pittsburgh. Uh, the, the big subject has been that play. Uh, the play that put the game away for the Steelers. Uh, the pass to Chase Claypool, 35 yards, matched against Nate Gary. Easy touchdown, Claypool's fourth touchdown of the game. Uh, I know what I think about what happened. I want to get uh, what you guys think. Damo, what, what was your take when you watched it and your take now after reading everything that's been said and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around. Uh, you know, uh, yesterday Doug was just pretty much given all the credit to, to Ben Roethlisberger for being this wise visionary that, that noticed that, uh, <laughs> he, yeah. that, that the man that likely was going to be covering Claypool on that play was, uh, uh, was Nate Gary. But, you know, I mean, my feeling still is that as soon as they noticed what was going on out there? Somebody should have called a timeout. Doug has right. said, uh, Doug has said that uh, you know he had two timeouts left. He wanted to keep them because they were going to get the ball back. But uh, and that he just, you know, they were counting on Gary keeping him in front of him. And uh, but still, I mean, he was going to sit down probably at the sticks and get a first down. So uh, Nate Gary played it badly uh, as he always does. I mean. Uh, a semblance of a double move and he was he was history and Rodney <laughs> Rodney should have I mean Malcolm Jenkins realizes if he's if he's out there right away that that's yeah that's the emergency he needs to be paying attention to not JJ Schuster, Smith Schuster on the outside and and he would have been in better position to help so I mean that's my take yeah, yeah. this sort of reminded me of you know the Vikings game from last year when they they ran they they Rodney McLeod said they ran quarters coverage on that play. And I remember quarters gave the Eagles nightmares against the Vikings because, you know, a lot of times it does make a safety decide between two receivers, you know, both running deep routes. And, you know, I think you're right, Damo, if they have Malcolm Jenkins over the top of Nate Gary there, he figures out, reads and reacts that, okay, I need to be over the top of Gary here. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes, you know, and Jim Schwartz has talked about sometimes when they run these coverages where guys have to make quick decisions and, you know, read and react, sometimes that's not actually a good thing in this Eagles defense right now. Right. Um, you know, McLeod had a really good game outside of that play. Yeah. Um, but that play, I mean, it's just like you said, it's kind of like he just he had to make a, a decision and he made the wrong one um, by not helping Gary out over the top yeah. one. Well, the thing that really in the uh, analysis uh, through Monday, the thing that really caught my eye is on the replay, you can see Nickel Roby Coleman realizing what's going on and yelling at Gary and pointing backward, like back up, back. Up. Yeah. <laughs> and Gary is just focused on the backfield where if you read Ben Roethlisberger's quotes, it was Ben Roethlisberger is explaining as he's standing there in shotgun, what the play is to chase Claypool. Who's <laughs> never run this route before. And he's gesturing with his hand. Okay. I want you to go this way straight down the field, you know, I mean, I, and, it, and it was an empty set, so he didn't need to yeah. pay attention to the backfield. Yeah. Right. There was nothing for Nate Gary to look at back there. You know, I mean, it, uh, it just. Uh, 
it's infuriating to watch uh, five games into a season. Uh, and yeah. this defense overall, fellas. I mean, Damo and I were talking before the podcast started here about they've played two really good offenses, the Rams and the Steelers. They gave up 37 points to one of them and 38 to the other. And in both games, it's just like there's a string of possessions where it's just touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Yeah. I, I My feeling, and I don't, you guys can tell me whether you agree or disagree, I mean, the, the irony is they're getting a good pass rush. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't say that's, that's the problem. I think what's going on here, one of the problems is they're having some major growing pains with this transition to a man, de- you know, yeah. to a mainly man coverage defense. Right. They, they they did it because that's what Darius Slay plays. That's why you're getting him. Right. Uh, so he can travel. Uh, but the rest of those guys aren't particularly good in man coverage. Uh, particularly on rub routes. It yeah. Like they can't. They're like a basketball team that can't switch off a pick. And if you don't have. Yeah. If you haven't had a lot of experience with it, like they have, since they don't play, haven't played a lot of man coverage in the past, it takes a while to get used to those rub routes and how to react. Yeah, yeah. I'm. The thing that's I've been thinking about is like, it's it feels like the the current offensive fad in the NFL is you know scheming guys open with rub routes and different mm-hmm. route concepts to just you know basically just to beat man coverage, even if you don't have great athletes out there. And when you do have great athletes, it's even harder to handle. And, you know, it seems like, I mean, I know Darius Slay is a man coverage corner, but it is interesting. It's interesting timing, at least, to switch to man this season as all <laughs> yeah. these guys, all these coaches are, you know, coming up and they're all running this McVay or, you know, Shanahan system where, you know, it's just all these route concepts to beat man coverage. Yeah, um, yeah. So. that's exactly right. I've actually read a few stories about the problems other teams are having with man coverage. Yeah. It- situation and uh you're right the whole schwartz jim schwartz thing is fascinating i'm not his biggest detractor i think he's a pretty smart guy and i don't think they have great personnel after you get off the defensive line i don't think you know they have darius slay and they have mcleod and then there's five guys that basically are replacement level players i think uh but schwartz's whole concept is so focused on the pass rush Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's a concept from maybe 15 20 years ago that that was the the cure-all to everything was to get pressure there's so many good quarterbacks now and you particularly see it with veteran quarterbacks like Roethlisberger you can get in their face they're going to get rid of the ball they're you know you have to cover you have to (laughs) You know, you can't just put everything on your pass rush. And it just seems like that's where they've invested all their money. That's where all their talent is on defense. And, uh, you know, four pass rushers that can switch in and out and Darius Slay isn't going to win you a lot of games. Yeah, and, and you know, he doesn't blitz. Uh, so, I mean, while they have a terrific front four, you know where the pressure's coming from. Uh, that's yeah. one less thing for a quarterback to worry about. And, and, and the experienced quarterbacks they faced, I mean, you can go back all four years through through uh, Schwartz's uh, tenure here. The good quarterbacks get the ball out quickly, and, that, and they're the ones that are beating them. I mean, the people like Russ, Russell Wilson over the years and, and, and Ben on Sunday. I mean, you look at their average uh, time uh, with the ball after the snap. It, it's, not very, it's not very long. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just think this is a little bit of a systemic problem. And, uh, you know, I'm not one of the fire Schwartz every time the team loses kind of guys, but I think they do have to look this offseason at whether this is an effective approach in what will be 2021. Yeah. I, I, I honestly do. I don't know, you know, I don't have a candidate in mind, but, uh, you know, it's been a while now and they haven't had a good defense with Jim Schwartz here. They really haven't at any point. They've had some teams that kind of overperformed defensively relative to their talent a few times down the stretch, but you can't say they've been really good uh, at any point. And they want, you know, everybody knows they won the Super Bowl, giving up 505 yards passing, yeah. <laughs> 33 points. Uh, moving on from that, it was the best game for the offense uh, this season, which is a little bit damning with faint praise because the <laughs> offense hadn't had a real, you know, blowout type game uh, all year. But they did score 29 points, and uh, Carson Wentz did throw touchdown passes, multiple touchdown passes, and they discovered Travis Fulgham. Uh, yeah, I guess they discovered him the week before, but they sort of uh, – Move a little, few more chapters into that book uh, with a really incredible performance uh, Sunday uh, against a pretty good Steelers defense, a, a very good Steelers defense. Mm-hmm. So people are taking some solace in that. How do you guys feel? Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that there's a lot of offensively, at least there are a lot of building blocks from this game. I mean, I think this was unequivocally the best game Carson Wentz has played all season. Um, yeah. The last pick at the end of the game, I mean, what are you going to do with that? There's not much you can – I mean, it was basically a punt. Um, the first pick, you know, you could argue that it was supposed to be – uh, that there should have been a legal contact called. Um, yeah. And outside of those two throws, I mean, he missed a couple of throws. You know, like I definitely remember a few times where you just – it's still like the head-scratching inaccuracies, but he made the throws that you're used to seeing him make, and he just overall played well. Um I thought, uh, you know, it helps, obviously, when Fulgham's playing the way that he was, and I think that that was probably the brightest spot from the game. Um, you know, I'm excited to see him on all, the All-22, but watching it live, you know, and then watching the broadcast back, it's, it's like he's not just winning from, you know, finding the soft spot in his own or, you know, making tight catches, you know, or running a really crisp route. He's doing all three, you know. He's doing – he did a lot of good things against uh, the Steelers. You know, he made some tough catches – he just, you know, like it's kind of like the Greg Ward thing where he just sort of knows where to sit down and, you know, just mm-hmm. sit between two defenders. Um, and, you know, it, that was really promising. I don't know. I don't want to overreact to, you know, two games. But, I mean, I think that they would have to seriously consider keeping him in the rotation even when everybody's back. Yeah. You know, I, 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 the one – I mean, I, that, the, clearly defenses have said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just taking – we're taking Ertz out of the game. And yeah. uh, somebody else going to beat us fine. And, I mean, Mike Hilton spent a lot of time with Fulgham, and I, I'm not minimizing what Fulgham did. He had a great game, but but Hilton isn't one of the, yeah. He's a, he's their slot corner most of the time. He's the, mm-hmm. he's also the guy that gave up the 74 yard touchdown run to, to Miles, so he didn't have a real good game. Um, but you're right. I mean, Fulgham has just proven himself and needs to have a you know spot in that rotation at, at wide receiver. Uh, I, yeah. you know, I was impressed despite the five sacks by the offensive line, given that, you know, they were down to one starter after Lane Johnson went out that they, they, I'm not going to tell you they played great, but I mean, they didn't collapse against 
probably you know one of the the, the best pass rushes in the league, uh, which which and they're going to have to play that way go, going forward because I doubt we're going to see uh, a lot of lane uh, at least in the near future on a on a on a good ankle. Um, and they need to, they, you know, they, they've got going forward, they've got to figure out a way to get the run game going. And that's hard when you've got four backups in that inexperienced backups in that offensive line. And you're, you know, you, they can't use, I mean, one of the reasons they're using Miles Sanders so much, A, he's their best back. I, I realize that, but, uh, you look at the snap counts on, on Corey Clement and Boston Scott in the last two games, they just have no confidence that they can block anybody to, to keep Carson Wentz on, uh, healthy. So, you know, Miles Sanders is going to be used till he collapses. So we'll see how that goes. They might need to do something there. I haven't been a big proponent of, you know, the fans want to see a 240-pound running back who comes in and carries the ball 15 times a game or something. They're not going to do that. But they might need to do something to a veteran back who's more of a – just to take some of the, as you said, blitz pickup stuff away from Sanders. Corey Clement had just a horrible whiff. Oh, that. yeah. Third sack. Uh, I didn't re- watching real time. I didn't really pick it up. Watching the re- replay yesterday, uh, just uh, inexcusable. He was in position and he just fired and missed the guy. Uh, I don't know what you do about that other than not play uh, Corey Clement. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to make a Fulgham point real quickly. It's almost like he is what JJ Ortega Whiteside was supposed to be. Fulgham yeah. is two two twenty five. And really knows how to use his body on like those sideline routes and things like that. Uh, of course, poor Ortega Whiteside, <laughs> he's just under a dark cloud. Uh, <laughs> they threw to him one time Sunday. It was toward the end of the set, right at the end of the, set, the first half, second quarter. Uh, he caught the longest gain of the game by either team, uh, the longest passing gain anyway, 37 yards against Joe Hayden. Heck of a play. And it meant nothing. They had no timeouts left. They couldn't get up to the line, and time ran out on the half. If that's not the epitome of J.J. Ortega white-sidedness, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the offensive line, I am worried a little bit about that. I kind of I wrote about Lane Johnson for today. I'd encourage you to click on that story on Inquirer.com. Um, it looks to me like we've talked a lot about the Eagles on training staffs. We always kind of tiptoe a little bit because we don't ever get to talk to these people and we don't want to malign them unfairly. We don't know the ins and outs of treatment or what guys do and don't do that they're supposed to do. But Lane Johnson's ankle has been messed up for two years now. Uh, I got to think this has not been handled correctly. He, it, he said it bad all last season, and then he really messed it up bad in the uh, Monday night win over the Giants in December last year. Went through the whole offseason thinking it had healed. It hadn't healed. He got into practice, started you know, running into people, and realized he couldn't push off uh, against a you know, 300-pound lineman with that ankle. Had to have surgery done to fix it. Got it fixed. Came back, you know, week two, telling us, oh, yeah, this is going to be great now. Everything's going to be fine. It hasn't been great. It swells up on him. He has to get fluid drained out of it. He had to have, uh, in the San Francisco game, he had to go get a second uh, pain shot 
to, to be able to complete the game. And then Sunday, he's leaving on a cart, and now he's looking for a second opinion. Uh, this is one of the many things that's just exhausting and exasperating about this team, is not? I mean, it's not even a new type. It's not even like a, a, a strange thing to hear about this Eagles yeah. team. I mean, this is almost – it's very reminiscent of what happened with Deshaun Jackson last year, you yeah. know? Because maybe you say, oh, well, maybe Lane didn't want to have surgery, maybe, you know, because of the pandemic, or maybe he just didn't want to go under the knife. I mean, that's not a, something that most people are happy to do. But, I mean, you're right. It's just like if you have a lingering ankle injury for two years and when you, you have to wait till August to get it, you're not going to be right for most of the year. So, um, so yeah, it's not, even, it's not even a new story for the Eagles yeah. uh, medical staff. I mean, we saw this happen with Deshaun last year. And this – is you know it's another unfortunate uh, repercussion of the of pandemic because there were no OTAs. I ha- right. I have a sense, and I think you guys agree that if there had been OTAs at some point in the spring, he and the staff, medical staff, would have agreed that uh, yeah, you're it should be healed by now, and it's not. Why don't we uh, Why don't we go in there and find out what's going on? And he, then he would have had two two plus months to uh, to heal, and that didn't happen. Uh, now. My question is, like, during the course of all their Zoom talks from February through uh, July, didn't somebody say, how's your ankle feeling? There you go. And, yep. and, and, and maybe he said, oh, it's okay, it's fine, uh, yeah. which could have been the case because, you know, Lane's not a guy that com- complains about much unless you've just, you know, stuck a bayonet through his stomach. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, but it's, you know, I don't see this getting – I don't see this problem – being solved anytime soon, and I think uh, Jack Driscoll is going to get a lot of playing time at right tackle going forward. And see, that's a pro- that's that's a problem for me because some of the other offensive line injuries, you can say, okay, it's it might be good to see what Jordan Mailata can do at left tackle. You're certainly not going to have Jason Peters there next season, and you know you don't know that you're going to have Andre Dillard there next season. Uh, yeah, let's see what my maybe Mailata's uh, great find. Okay, I can go with that. Uh, it might be good to get uh, uh, Nate Herbig some time at, at left guard or right guard, really. I mean, he looks like a good prospect. You know, they, they, it's an aging line. They they can certainly use another really good player. Uh, Matt Pryor, I don't much care, you know, whether he gets time or not. I think he's a backup. But uh, now you put Driscoll in next to Matt Pryor, and suddenly the right side doesn't look very impressive at all to me. Nothing against Jack Driscoll as a prospect, but he doesn't need to be starting as a rookie. Uh, I, I just don't think, you know, that's Lane Johnson is still in his prime, supposedly. Um, I, I don't see an upside to this uh, for the Eagles. Uh, it gives another guy some, some experience, but they don't need, you know, another guy uh, getting experience right now. They need experience. They need Lane Johnson in there to help Jason Kelsey with these kids. And if that's not going to be the case, I just don't see what yeah. how, they, how they're going to cope with this particular offensive line group. What, how do you guys feel? I mean, you said it when you, you mentioned just the right side as a whole. I mean, if you were putting Jack Driscoll next to Brandon Brooks, I might yeah. feel okay about that. I might think that you know he, he could figure it out. But, I mean, we've seen – from Matt Pryor the last couple of games that, I mean, he's going to give you some really bad snaps. You know, he's going to basically 
you ruin a play or two every once in a while. Um, and putting Driscoll next to that, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's worrisome. You know, they've overcome a lot this season with offensive line injuries, but that might be the one that breaks the camel's back. Yeah. I mean, inexperienced offensive linemen can always be helped by playing next to an experienced guy who can, <laughs> who can alert them to what's coming, what they're seeing in front of them. But you, yeah. <laughs> but when the only experienced guy is your center right now, he's got a lot of people that, you know, it's kind of like uh, somebody babysitting 12 kids, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, it's just, it's just n- not manageable. Yeah. yeah. You know, so often uh, from talking to players and watching uh, the guys that are lined up next to each other, if one guy is inexperienced <laughs> and the other guy's experienced, you'll see them talking right before the snap. Okay. This just happened. They moved into this. What am I doing? You know, when it's Matt Pryor and Jack Driscoll, nobody's saying to the other one, here's what you should do. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a really, I hope maybe Dwayne Johnson uh, will find the relief for his inflammation in his ankle and be able to continue because that's uh, pretty any sort of hope for this season going forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess at some point Peters will be healthy. And, and, and I wouldn't move him to left tackle. I'd put him at right guard because yeah. Pryor's the guy that's struggling the, wor- the most out there right now. Um, Very. But, but, I, but, then, but then Jason's just going to get hurt again anyway. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the best you can hope for there is if Jason comes back and whatever he hurts next, <laughs> he'll play, you know, uh, out. That's the best case, and, uh, you know, for a good bit of last year, he just plays with injuries. And, yeah. uh you know, maybe that'll happen. Yeah. And I don't know, Isaac Tuamalo, uh, he wasn't supposed to be dead or anything, but I haven't seen or heard anything about him in quite a while. So who knows what the situation there is. True. Yeah. On to another topic that uh, interests me and is going to be, I think, a big deal uh, this week. Uh, the city is going to announce in a few hours uh, whether the Eagles are allowed to have fans at the link this weekend against the Ravens. Uh, the, an- the anticipation is that the Eagles will be allowed to have fans, as the Steelers were. They had Steelers had announced 47-08 uh, Sunday, which didn't really make a big difference in terms of the atmosphere. But it was good for those fans to be able to get in and, and actually see a game. And I think it made it a little less weird. Uh, yeah. I don't know... Uh, do you think fans will be a big deal at the length uh, if it's a small number uh, like the Steelers had? And, uh, you know, how do you think Eagles fans will react to this? I was a little surprised when they announced the 4708. I didn't get a chance to talk to anyone from the Steelers, but my impression was they were allowed 5,500. Did I don't know if they didn't have 5,500 people who were willing to risk coming out in the pandemic or, or what, but I I'll be amazed if Eagles fans don't you know, yeah. fill the capacity that's allowed. What's your take on that? I mean, I'm 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 kind of confused on why. I mean, I, I was surprised Wolf uh, two weeks ago even uh, gave the green light to this. I mean, because right. the numbers are back up in Pennsylvania; they're even worse on this side of the state. Uh, you know, it's just. I mean, granted, it's a small number of people, and there will be social distancing. And I, you know, I don't quite know why he decided to, to, to you know, to give in on, on this. Uh, I'm curious how they how they decide who, you know, who, if it's five thousand, if it's six thousand, 
right. how the Eagles determine. I assume they already have. They've figured out a system, yeah. but I'd be curious to know what it is. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the focuses today if this comes through as, as uh, predicted, uh, exactly how tickets are obtained. The problem is, we're talking to pandemic experts, you know, seating people outdoors uh, in a 60-some thousand seat uh, stadium, you know, you can spread people out, but they all have to come in and out, yeah. you know, yeah. and mingle with one another, and they all have to use the bathroom, yep. and, you know, things like that, and it's just, it's not safe. I mean, it really isn't, uh, but you have, you know, the guy, the governor in Florida wants the Dolphins to fill up their stadium. Yeah. Well, you, you look at college games on Saturday, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, I'm watching Oklahoma, Texas on Saturday in, in the, at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. And I mean, half of the people aren't wearing masks and, and, right. and they had a, they had a pretty good crowd. I don't know what the numbers were, but it wasn't 5,000. It was, uh, you know, it was closer probably to 30 uh, at least. And, you know, you know, you just wait to hear the next, you know, the next numbers uh, from a super spreader. Right. Yeah, there's a whole sort of denial of reality aspect to this. And it's, it's very interesting because uh, one of those pandemic experts I spoke to several weeks ago brought up the point, the NFL keeps wanting to bring in people. Major League Baseball never did that. You know, they played, yeah. they're playing now. Uh, of course, they're bubbled right now, but they weren't bubbled during the season. And they, there was never a word about you know, having people at baseball games. EJ, as the, yeah. uh, as the husband of a medical professional, what's your stance? Um, I think I don't want to make this too much about, like, not, non-football stuff, but um, I think we've both been – I mean, especially her, we've both been sort of surprised, just like the fatigue that people have when they talk about the, the rise in numbers. Yeah. And, you know, I understand, like, you know, I definitely uh, I understand that we've been in this for a long time, and there's part of it that's, like, you want to just, like, pick your risks and, you know, just like avoid what you can and, you know, make decisions, understanding what the risks are involved. But I'll tell you, I mean, going into a stadium with thousands of people that I don't know and can't trust, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I told you guys, you know, I traveled to the uh, 49ers. I had to connect through DFW mm-hmm. and through that airport, it was crowded. People had masks down below their noses a lot. There were, you know, obviously you have to eat and drink in the airport. There's no outdoor seating in the airport. You know, everybody at the, uh, at the food places, you know, had their masks off, obviously. Uh, it was necessary, I guess. I mean, you can't shut down airports forever, but it was not safe. There's no way it was safe. I did not feel safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I just hope we get through this and there's a vaccine soon and things can, you know, sort of settle down. But I think we're kind of trying to tiptoe through this uh, blindfolded. Yeah. Almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we should wrap this up. Uh, the Eagles are one, three and one. They're definitely not out of the uh NFC East race with Dak Prescott suffering a compound fracture of his ankle. Um, the Eagles also aren't good, uh, but that's, you know, yeah. that's secondary to the fact that 
you know, I'm, I'm I, not willing to say that if a bunch of guys get healthy and, you know, some things happen like learning how to play man defense a little better, that they can't be a competitive team in a playoff game. Yeah. You know, road. Maybe that sounds ridiculous, but I, I'm really not ready to say this is a, you know, four and 11 and one team or anything. I mean, they just need to hang on until they get, I mean, until, until the reinforcements arrive. I mean, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're not likely to beat Baltimore this week, but, you know, what do they have? The Giants and the Cowboys after that? I mean, those are, yeah. those become two must wins. Uh, yeah. And then they're three, four, then they're three, four, three, five and one. Okay. Yeah, three, five and one. Yeah, at least there's, you know, I mean, the, the Cowboys aren't going anywhere. So six, nine and one may win this division. Yeah. And we all know the Eagles were five and seven last year before they won their last four games. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not like you have to, you know, that this is unprecedented or anything like that. But it'll be real interesting to see how they play against the Ravens. Uh, it's uh, the great defense. I mean, 15.2 points a game. Uh, you know, it, it, this is going to be really tough. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about that more later in the week. This is uh, the Eagles podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. Our voluminous coverage of the Eagles is available at Inquirer.com, or you can even get the printed paper delivered to your doorstep if you're a true Luddite. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for listening to it, and we'll talk to you again Thursday. Take care. Thanks for having me.